0: Welcome to the Strength Empire Podcast, where we will cover all things strength sports, whether it's powerlifting, weightlifting, strongman, or the Highland Games. Before we begin, please make sure to follow us on social media at Strength Empire Podcast and at Strength Empire Gym. Also, if you'd like more information from us, you can find it at Strength as well as checking out the Strength Empire TV YouTube page for footage on training, throwing, nutrition, and meal prep and technique breakdown, etc the last thing I'd like to ask you to do is to make sure you leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform when you finish this episode. And if you could share it with your friends, that'd be awesome as well. Now, I promised that we would read out some of our reviews as we got them for the podcast. So thank you to everyone who has left us a five-star rating. And we've got a couple of reviews. The first one from Matt Parlier, Matty Pizza says, Justin has a wide variety of strength athletes on to discuss life and training. Pretty direct and to the point. From the Dr. Zach Riley, we have Justin is pretty much the smartest guy in North Carolina. I trust his training advice over anyone else for sure. Now, I know that's not true, but I appreciate the flattery. Dr. Zach, who looked that guy up. He's a genius. We'll have him on at some point. And so far, my favorite from the Haas nurse, Chris Chambly. He uh, reviews us saying, we are amazing. The intellectual content is only surpassed by how strong the pull of the host's voice is, drawing you into an audible explosion of happiness. This should be played through speakers on the bellies of pregnant women to ensure male children are born with seeds of future legendary beards and the female children break records held by weaker men. Five stars all around. The irony of that one is my beard is pathetic, unfortunately. But thank you to those who have left us some reviews. Those are just a couple highlights there. And I'm really excited for today's episode. This is going to be season one, episode six of the Strength Empire podcast with our season of strength athletes or crossover strength athletes with my good friend and longtime training partner, Derek Wilcox. All right. Well, welcome Derek to the Strength Empire podcast. Thanks for joining me today, man, amongst this coronavirus craziness.
1: Yeah, not a problem. Happy to do it. I'm not really doing a whole lot else right now
0: so. so so yeah i was actually i'm i meant to ask you this like yesterday or, or, or a little bit ago but uh how is this coronavirus stuff uh what are you doing now and then how is this affecting what you're doing now
1: i'm a nutrition and training consultant for renaissance periodization right now doing that full-time since i finished up my phd awesome. and uh, granted i work from home i can really work anywhere there's wi-fi so as long as that doesn't shut off i should be okay But, of course, you know, a lot of my clients are going through rough times. Potential clients are all going through rough times, so there's a lot of uncertainty. Anytime the market goes up or down, we really see it in our business a lot.
0: Absolutely.
1: We're just trying to, um, as a group of consultants and people at RP, we're trying to do the best we can to help facilitate people staying on their normal training routine, because really that, that helps quality of life quite a bit in general.
0: Yes, I, I agree hundred percent. And like people talk about it, you know, the physical well being, but it's also mental. And, you know, I myself with the gym, I've not allowed any new members and new guest passes, which is really hard for me to do. Like I want to be able to open anybody and everybody, but it was a decision to be, you know, what's best for our current membership. Uh, and it, it's been eating at me and it's really hard to do that, but trying to, trying to mitigate the damages of this coronavirus per se. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, we've, it's a lot we've of responsibility. It. Yeah. We've seen it too. You know, I mean, my, my, my business has dropped down. I mean, our membership stayed okay, but I mean, you definitely can tell that, you know, people aren't jumping into personal training. Some of my group training, football guys have stuff like that. Their parents are keeping them home. And it's, it's it doesn't, it's, I don't take it personally. I completely understand the situation, but it's just, man, it sucks. It sucks. It's rough. But, um, so let's talk. We're going
1: to get through it though. Yeah,
0: eventually. <laughs> Um, I want to talk you know I told you a little bit more about strength sports. So you and I have kind of had the same belief here in being an athlete and in looking up to the same type of strength athletes as I'm, you and I have a, a little bit more of a history than maybe people know. I say like we've been friends for so long and, and trained together. but we've met we've met. <laughs> <laughs> How did you really get your start in strength sports? when did that happen? uh well, you'd have to go all the way back
1: to me being a kid and listening to my dad tell me stories about all these men that he admired or just people in general didn't have to be men, um, you know, guys that were lifting engine blocks in a garage and just, it wasn't so much the stories of what was going on, it was how he revered them. You could see that he had so much respect for them. Mm-hmm. And then coming up through athletics, you know, you start to really appreciate people that are strong or they teach you how to re- appreciate them uh, especially if you're going against them but that That seems like a football reference yeah that's one of them yeah (laughs) definitely (laughs) um but you know you just go i grew an appreciation for it mainly because i was so small but i wasn't you know i wasn't usually just the smallest person on the field in football like you mentioned i was usually one of the slower ones too so Mm -hmm. i really had to learn how to figure out how to make my body perform better to where i was you know mentally where I thought I should be and after a while I just ended up falling in love with the strength aspect of the training instead of actual field sports
0: yeah and so didn't you start I guess I'm assuming you started powerlifting first then I, was that high school
1: sort of in high school we had competitions that consisted of bench press and a form of a clean yeah <laughs> <laughs> I use that term loosely, (laughs) but uh, of course, high school hang cleans and power cleans and stuff, that's the epitome of the stereotypical terrible form, you're going to die if you do that again, real heavy, kind of awful looking stuff, but luckily for me, I had a a really good strength coach in high school who was a former power lifter, so he had a really good idea of what he was doing, Uh, Coach Tom Harper, shout out to him, he's helped tons and tons of kids in the North Carolina area. And I was lucky to have him as a strength coach because I was ahead of the game a little bit. And as soon as I graduated from high school, that's within a couple of months, I started finding powerlifting competitions. And that's ironically when I met Jeff Crouch um, and Charlie cause I at the same YMCA bench press meet where we had like <laughs> seven people at this place.
0: What a meet. Like, that's oh, how yeah. it should be. Nowadays, there's 700.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things have changed quite a bit, but um, I, I still have the plaque for coming in second place out of two at that meet.
0: <laughs> that's a proud one. That's that first one, huh? Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, it's, it's more about, you know, keeping the memories alive. Absolutely. But, um, meeting Jeff Crouch on that day was quite fortuitous because he would help me go into Highland Games just
0: a few years later as well. Yeah. My Kilted Yoda life coach. Yeah, right. It, it, his, the number one advice he'll, get, he'll give you is it could always be worse. Um, 100%. <laughs> uh, so, let's talk, let's let's kind of divide up your strength sport career, and I want to talk about a, each kind of your career and progression through each, and then we'll kind of come back and talk about the training side of things. So, let's keep rolling with powerlifting. You know, that's how I met you, was doing my I guess you'll call it an internship at Stratiform back in the day, and uh I see you still rocking the Stratiform DW name on your Skype. Um, <laughs> but we uh, with, with that, I got introduced to you. Actually, you invi- you were the one who invited me and got me started in everything. And it was I was there trying to learn about what's a gym like, what are strength sports like. I didn't really know. So shout out to Dr. Triplett for pushing me to go over there. She's like, you, you'll fit in here. Go over here. Um, I love Travis. She's, uh, she's amazing. And she said, you know, go over here and fit in here. And then I was kind of, you know, Kind of trying to figure out. The first person I met was Travis, who I was like, I've never met somebody this big in my life at that time. And, different Travis. Uh, different. Dr. Triple. Tri- tri- no, not, not Dr. Triple. Travis. <laughs> Travis Gardner. Um, gigantic dude. You know, long goatee at the time. I was like, this, this guy's supposed to be nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was helping me along with the gym stuff. And then you invited me to go deadlift with you guys. And I remember seeing the video, I think uh, Buddy Nichols has it on his YouTube, and I was like, it was the worst-looking deadlift I've ever seen in my life, but I pulled, like, technically like a 50-pound PR that day, and I was just like, I called my dad, I was like, Dad, you'll never believe what I'm doing right now, and who I'm with, and what I'm seeing, <laughs> <laughs> but that was my introduction into powerlifting, uh, was was that, that kind of moment, and you were the one where like, hey, come deadlift with us, so... Um, I've got you to thank for that, man. But talk me through like that career, and then where it kind of ended up at, at towards the end of things.
1: Uh, well, powerlifting specifically, it was uh, that was always my goal when I was in high school. I've talked about this before on a few other shows. I had the all-time world records list that listed out the weight class. This was before weight classes had changed in the IPF and USAPL, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone had the same exact weight classes, and it had been that way for half a century. Mm -hmm. So everything was very standardized. So everything from 114 all the way to super heavyweight, you had one name next to a number and a weight class. It was regardless of federation, regardless of circumstance, regardless of excuses. You had one name, one number, one weight class. And I always wanted to be on that list. And I carried that list around with me in my notebooks for years in high school. So powerlifting was always my number one goal. I knew I would enjoy other sports, but that was always priority number one. And uh, I started lifting in single ply as soon as I got out of high school. I did one raw meat before raw was really a thing. It was raw <laughs> with wraps. And now uh, the only reason that happened was because I got to lift in it for free because I got the I helped set up the meet the day before. So I just went out there in a sun hat, scarf, and all kinds of crazy, goofy stuff and had fun. But, um, you know, as time went on, I was still trying to work toward getting on that list.
0: And theres I feel like I'm skipping over a ton of stuff. <laughs> but, I do remember the video of the sun hat and scarf. i I can vividly remember that. That was before I had met you. But obviously I creeped on your YouTube and uh, that one's up there. It's out there somewhere.
1: That was from back in 2008, the beginning of 2008, I think. There you go. It's, it's been a day or two, but uh, <laughs> it's still enjoyable. But just all those moments like that, and it's finally got into multiply equipment. And when you're in undergrad, as you know, trying to get multiply equipment back in the day, I mean, if you bought it brand new, like a, canvas squat suit. It was $350 or whatever it was. Yeah. A good bench shirt was about the same. So most of the time I was working off hand-me-downs and just whatever I could find. I, I lifted in the same bench shirt for four years and it just eventually blew apart in a meat.
0: I was um, there for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Al Caslow gave me that shirt. It was the inser Phenom and I just used it to death. That uh, When I first got it, I got close to 200 pounds out of it and I continued to get stronger and I pressed the exact same weight in that shirt forever because it just kept getting more worn out and I kept getting stronger and <laughs> I, my, my raw bench press almost went up a hundred pounds and I was still pressing the same weight in the shirt <laughs> it was so dead but I didn't have enough money to get anything else yeah so if that gives you an idea of you know where the priorities were and how much I ended up sacrificing for powerlifting during that time um Eventually was able to go squat a world record and you were there with me for that one. Um, the oh. lift didn't go as, as much as I had as well as I had hoped it would. Yeah. But um, there were a lot of circumstances around that. You hear an up call, people can't see things, you know. But mm-hmm. a few years after that I was kind of able to redeem myself by being the smallest person to ever squat a thousand pounds in competition. I felt a lot better about that
0: one. Yeah. Is that is that still true to this day, which I believe it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A throwback to Pulp Fiction, you have one thing to thank for that. It's the same reason they call a quarter pounder royal cheese in Europe. (laughs) It's the metric system, man. There
0: you
1: go. Uh, The guy that ended up breaking my 181 squat record, he squatted 450 kilos at 181, which is unbelievable. And squat looked pretty good, too. dude's extremely strong. Kalei Rasanin, I'm probably butchering his name. Yeah. But 450 kilos comes out exactly to 992 pounds. <laughs> and he never cut below 194, which is where I did the 1,000 pounds at officially. Yeah. So I technically still have the smallest 1,000-pound squat. It's been over six years now.
0: That's just awesome. I, I, I still geek out and tell people that, hey, I know Derek, and this is what Derek can do. So you suck because you <laughs> don't know him. Um, my brother, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to this podcast at all. My brother actually, uh, gave you a really good shout out and you know, he, he gave his success so far a lot to our environment of us training together. Um, and him coming along and starting to train with us and the idea that seeing other weights lifted, he was allowed to turn off his governor of what was possible or impossible. Um, Granted, even in gear versus raw he he said, you know seeing Derek squat those numbers made me know it was believable that I could do it um, which was really cool to to see that that he's come up and, and been successful himself and uh quick quick story and this is the tangents that I don't want to get off of, but um, your weight cut for that uh, 181 squat was um boy, there's a couple times I've been worried in my life about how people are doing. <laughs> <laughs> and the drive from Boone to Asheville, and we were I had, we had, I was lifting too, but we had the heat blasting, and you were in like garbage bags and winter coats, and we had to keep rolling the windows down because it get too hot, and you were going to pass out. I mean, it was, it was about as much as I could take. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was, that was not fun. And then after we got there, I, I, I missed weight by a little bit and had to go to the sauna that was upstairs. Oh, yeah. That was not good either. Ended up dry heaving and getting sick and yep
0: but then we ate so good I oh mean, man we go huddle house or whatever it was and then we, we did go joint. back
1: yeah we went to uh i don't remember where we went for breakfast that morning i was probably still in the days but we went from one place to eat and sat around and moaned and groaned <laughs> and just drank water and ate salt until it was time to go to the next place to go eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't ever remember the name of that Italian joint, but we had the best chicken parm I think I've ever had.
1: <laughs> oh, super good. Uh, looking back at that now, it was nutritionally, it was too much fat to have at that point, but it was still one of the best reconstitutions that I've ever had. Uh, no IVs, no anything like that, and I didn't use any diuretics and, or anything. Yeah. So it made the sweating a little bit more intense, but um, I didn't have to worry about, hormone and chemical balances in the body shifting fluids away. Yeah. So that's, that's one big benefit of not going that route. But, um, yeah, that was, that was really, that was a tough cut. but the Reconstitution went really, really well. And it's one of the million variables in multiply lifting that you have to get right to have a successful day.
0: Yeah. So it talks about, talk to me about that a little bit. So it's, do you think that it's more common to see the drastic weight cuts in multiply lifting, and or do you think that it affects multiply lifting more than raw lifting and why well
1: that's a really interesting thing uh, like I mentioned with multiply lifting, the amount of variables it almost exponentially increases compared to raw lifting. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, raw meats are super simple when they ask me why I didn't do more of them. I basically did a raw meat two months out before every equipped meet that I did because the the training goes from, or my training goes from high volume, build muscle, build a uh, workout working capacity for how much lifting you can do, get in shape basically, gain muscle. And then through the blocks you move toward the heavy triples and the heavy singles, et cetera, et cetera. And before you start into equipment on my program, you, basically max out on your primary lifts to see where you are and it also helps condition you to putting on the gear and the intent the relative intensity going above hundred percent so everything seems simple then then anytime you have a body weight shift up or down the equipment fits differently uh you have to have equipment altered if you want to get the most out of it and that changes everything just you know if you don't know what you're doing you're you're taking shots in the dark trying to figure out well, if I tighten it here, how's it gonna respond and blah blah blah. It's it it I wouldn't say it's quite akin to motorsports in that way, trying to figure out a good tune up before you go to your powerlifting meet to get your equipment right. But um, every little thing you tighten down, every little, little way you adjust it, your body has to compensate. And every bit of carryover that you get from equipment It doesn't just appear when you put the suit on. If you're familiar (laughs) with physics at all, you know, Einstein is very famous for saying every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Every bit of that 200 pounds that you're supposed to be getting in air quotes from a bench shirt or a squat suit or whatever, your body is absorbing that potential force. and It is crushing you and you're having to stay stable underneath that additional force for that carryover to ever happen. Um, a lot of people figure that out when they put equipment on, and they like, they figure out real quick. Oh, this isn't for me. I'm going to go back to go back to what doesn't hurt and is easy. Um, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I I fully support everyone doing whatever makes them happy. It's just a, a whole different
0: ballgame. Absolutely. I I've talked with some people and try to try to give them an idea of what geared lifting is, and I honestly say that I tell them to compare it the technicality of the snatch compares to me to the technicality of the bench shirt is that you have such a fine small margin of error and and how it is just so different obviously from a squat and it I feel like it's the same on par comparatively and just to give people ideas of like how much technical training you have to do in the gear and it's you know it compared to outside the gear as well Um,
1: absolutely I would agree with that Um, the difference being that there is a dynamic type technique application with a snatch or a clean, whereas it's very static with the shirt. But anytime you change shirts or change how you, you know, the shirt fits or anything like that, it changes the technique to a certain extent. So it's like going out and having to lift a different bar and adjust your snatch technique to a different shaped bar or something. (laughs) It's a constant cycle of, oh, I got it figured out. Oh, that shirt's worn out now. I have to get a new shirt. Oh, changed all my technique. I have to, you know, figure out how to work this again.
0: Yeah.
1: So, it's a constant cycle.
0: So, where did powerlifting lead you? What were kind of your best numbers, or what was your best performance on a specific day? Um, and, and then, what kind of? I know personally, you've you kind of hung it up. Um, I don't know if that's forever, but what, where, <laughs> where where are you at? Where are you or where did you come to? How did it all come to fruition? I guess
1: the the best single day I had in powerlifting, number wise, was. The only time I didn't make weight on a cut, <laughs> ironically enough. Yeah, you go. Uh, I was getting ready for the Iron Mayhem meet in Bristol, Tennessee. I love those guys. They've always had a ton of fun at those meets, great atmosphere. And uh, I had to be extra selective with the places that I would compete, because when you're squatting well over five times your body weight, any little thing will throw off yeah what you're trying to do. So if I didn't have a 65 pound squat bar that wasn't going to whip all over the place yeah. over my tiny little body <laughs> with with getting super narrow in the middle of a squat bar that was eight feet long. Um, you know, it's all kinds of stuff that wasn't just for my protection. It was for a lot of people's protection. True. But anyway, I digress. Um, I was cutting f- to go to 198 and try to break that squat record to add to the the other one and I had nerve compression compression issues in my lower lumbar spine like the l4 l5 s1 area and when I got down to about three pounds over it was four o'clock in the morning and I was in a sauna and just trying to finish it up and through the dehydration process the discs in my spine Between the vertebrae, they were basically deflated. And when it got deflated to that certain amount, it started hitting a nerve. And I could not get any relief from that back pain. Yeah, I couldn't lay down and get it to go away. There was no inversion happening. I tried everything. I was in a gym, tied bands up just to try and get that nerve pain to subside. And that level of dehydration, it just wasn't happening. So that was the only time I didn't make weight. I officially weighed in at 204, and I needed 1060 to break the squat record. And even after all the back trouble and whatnot, I went out and squatted 1040, and tried 1105 on the next attempt. And <laughs> <laughs> percentage-wise, it makes sense because I started at like 950. There so. <laughs> you go, right?
0: Uh, yeah. So let me let me ask you that. Uh, before you finish up that story. So you needed 1060. What record was that?
1: That was the all-time 198 squat record. Okay. Next so you were, weight class up. You're just a little bit up. And then
0: so yep. what What made you go for 1105
1: there? Uh, the, well, I, was, I ended up in the 220 weight class. Right. So that was the 220 which, number. Yeah. And one of the, the coolest accomplishments I've ever heard of in powerlifting, in my opinion, Sam Bird, going 198 world record squat, 220 record squat, and then the 242 world record squat. And I was I was hoping to try and mimic what he did because others thought that was absolutely incredible. So props to him for that. I I tried my hardest and I couldn't. I got one. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay. So you, you and those are and then I mean yeah. So hey, at that level, it's kind of that moment of screw it, we're going for it. Um, What uh? How'd the rest of that day Really good too. Yeah. So how'd the rest of that day go?
1: Uh, rest of the day. Well, I ended up with a ten forty squat, and by formula, doing that at two hundred and four pounds was my best (laughs) squat. I did ten fifty at two seventeen at the XPC finals. Okay. But I also missed eleven hundred pounds there. Turns out that's just really heavy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. And uh, but the Iron Mayhem meet. I think I benched five sixty. Something like that on my second attempt, passed on my third, and deadlifted 715 for a 2300 total, and missed 750 after that, um, which was, it wasn't far off. I think it was up around my knees, and I just couldn't quite lock it out. Gotcha. But,
0: so still performed well on a crazy cramped day before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, by that point, I'd figured out all the nutrition stuff yeah. and, um, made reconstitution a lot more consistent and easy and the weight cut didn't bother me as much because I went about it the right way and it's one of those benefits of experience and then also having the physiology background on top of
0: it. Mm -hmm. So that kind of was about the end of it yeah about the end of powerlifting for you for right now tell me about that.
1: Yeah I tried one more meet just to go after the 220 squat record because I didn't want to try to cut 298 again and I opened with a thousand three, and it absolutely flew. It was one of the one of my favorite squats because it just felt so easy. Who would have ever thought 220, 220 glass, and a thousand pound squat would be an opener? That was that concept by itself sounds silly now. But <laughs> um, I jumped straight to eleven oh two after that and missed it. Kind of left my suit too loose and had everything set up real well on the third time, but the second attempt was such a car wreck of a mess. I fell forward and people couldn't catch it quite in time. And they pinned the bar up against the mono so I could get out from underneath it. So, but that was actually the last meet that I went to. Okay. Uh, Mentally, I still want to go do more, but my hips and knees and elbows and shoulders and wrists all disagree.
0: All the joints. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, obviously, I know a little bit more about you. So let's delve more into when did you, what other strength sports did you do throughout your powerlifting career? I mean, you've kind of done all of them, but at what point in time did you start with weightlifting or strongman or highland games?
1: Well, with weightlifting, I mentioned that we did cleans and stuff in high school. They weren't very good, but they. They hit the right points as far as hitting a good power position or a mid-thigh position because that's where we did our hang from. Mm-hmm. So I had some instilled power there, and it helped my vertical jump a ton in high school. So whether or not we were doing it for the right reasons, we were doing the right things, and that worked out. But I did my first weightlifting meet in 2009 and had a blast. I think I, what did I snatch? It was 95 kilos or something like that what weight class I was in. It wasn't very heavy. Um, I was probably 190-something at that time, whatever the weight classes were then, and I think I clean and jerked 130 kilos. It was 286 and missed 140. And from then on, I kept working up, and eventually I qualified for the American Open, and that was, that was kind of the goal that I had for myself. I just wanted to be able to, to qualify for that, to say, okay, I didn't suck at this sport, so I can Kind of hang my hat on it and have fun with it the rest of the time.
0: Okay. What were your best actual weightlifting numbers? In competition,
1: uh, my best snatch was 120 and best clean and jerk was 147.5, and a half, I think. Okay. I tried 150 a lot, but I got called for three different press outs, I think.
0: Yeah, you have I know you have a little bit more of a unique weightlifting style, if you want to call it that, um, is that you do kind of a... It is almost like your multiply squat stance of a power Mm -hmm. jerk. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, People aren't used to it, man. I know. It it,
1: it trips people out, and sometimes I wear a a super fluorescent hot pink singlet, and that helps throw people off as well. Oh, absolutely.
0: (laughs) I've thought about... Uh, uh, wearing a, a, the almost, it's not quite the Borat singlet, but it's like the old school <laughs> Vasily Alexiev where it's like oh, the yeah. one strap down the middle to like a little square short. I almost wore that the last meet I did, but I kind of wanted to take it a little more serious cause I actually was lifting really well. <laughs> but if I do another meet, I may end up, they're like 15 bucks on Amazon. I'm like, dude, the pictures and the comedy that would come from that means more than <laughs> means more than the numbers ever could uh absolutely i, I found out many games.
1: stories about wearing a hot pink singlet at a weightlifting meet it, it actually bothered dr stone so much he had to get up and walk off it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right it was, it was his meet so you know he wants it taken seriously but i'm just out there having fun <laughs> uh
0: what about strongman now let's talk about strongman i know you did that a little bit uh you know, were you, did you ever have any aspirations there, or, or what was what, what did you enjoy the most out of strongman? Oh, uh, strongman, of course. You know,
1: the event variety is so immense cause you never you have an idea of what you're going to go into. In a lot of competitions, some competitions they don't tell you what the events are going to be. You just have to go in there and try to strong everything to death. But I, I enjoyed the camaraderie and the pressure and the, the time limit was fine or fun too. Um, but Atlas stones was definitely my favorite thing because, you know, deadlift variations I was probably better at the partial deadlifts and stuff like that. But, um, Atlas stones were unique because I get the deadlift all the time anyway. Right. Um, but the stone, stones were great and I absolutely hated truck pulls. It was the most <laughs> painful, strength event that i've ever ever done um, regardless of how heavy it is or what the situation is circumstances it just always sucks
0: and then now let's dive into highland games a little bit because I got, I got some questions i'm going to kind of bring this all together uh tell me about your highland games career how'd you get into that and where did you want to go with that etc
1: well, Highland Games, I, I didn't touch on this in Strongman, but my aspirations were very low because I'm a very low person. <laughs> five, five six or 5'7, and I had no illusions of me going to World's Strongest Man when everybody's a foot and a half taller than me. I, I had to shoot a jump shot with an atlas stone that was 200 pounds to get it up on a 72-inch platform. So That's insane. At, at, at that point, I knew, eh, this long term, not the best plan. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, I kind of understood that about Highland Games as well, but I wanted to at least get to the A class okay. in in the Highland Games. You usually start off in the, the B class on the eastern side of the country, and there's a C class on the western end, I believe, that was for beginners, but, or at least in some games. Uh, but when you look at the physics, I don't have a short reach overall, mm-hmm. but the shorter people, it's very hard to generate force in a rotational manner just from how physics work and and such things i don't remember exactly how to do those calculations off the top of my head i'm with you
0: longer radius
1: equals going farther (laughs) yeah big circles more faster (laughs) i'm writing
0: that one down (laughs)
1: um so i i didn't think i was going to go out and break world records in that but i genuinely love the Highland games for the camaraderie. There's, I don't think there's a sport out there that's got better camaraderie. Um, people are out there to have fun. They don't take ourselves overly serious because, you know, in the South, it's usually a bunch of rednecks that are wearing skirts because nobody understands what a kilt's for. So you have to have a certain brand of person that's willing to go do that in front of a large crowd of people, literally in the middle of a big field where everyone is watching you to be wearing that and catch flack and
0: lately you know. the joke's been uh we're we're next to corn dogs and funnel cakes so i mean <laughs> it, it can't be that great or can't be that serious yeah and you know with the, the culture
1: there's probably two people that have those nicknames so <laughs> um
0: but what kind of uh, what kind of with all these different strength sports what grew like grabbed you you know why did you gravitate to each different one at what timing and and why did you do so many different things
1: well the thing that ties them all together and this isn't just drink sports it goes into you know olympic sports like sprinting or rowing or curling even of all the athletes that i've been around and i've been around thousands at this point i've never heard a single athlete that was competitive campaignable complain about being too strong it just hasn't happened Uh, even golfers I've exclusively worked with golfers for five years at ETSU and nobody complained about being strong in that much of a refined skill sport Um, in any sport you go to it never hurts to be strong that carries over to everything okay
0: but what kind of drove you to trying all these different ones instead of just sticking with one well, I
1: I think a part of it was putting so much pressure on myself to to be really good at powerlifting. Uh I always felt like I was an athlete of some sort and I could I wasn't just gonna pinhole myself to doing one thing and then I saw Mikhail Kaklaya from Russia who was kind of my idol in that regard. He would go and finish in the top ten in the world's strongest man competitions pretty consistently. And he was also a Russian national champion in weightlifting, Mm -hmm. which was his primary sport. So when I saw somebody crossing over and doing things like that, he ended up throwing an unofficial world record for weight over bar in the Highland Games as well. I was like, wow, this guy is doing everything. And then, lo and behold, he went and did a powerlifting. He had an incredible total there. So he, he was not the number one master of any trade like he didn't go to the olympics and win gold or anything but he was you know at top 0.1 percent easily in multiple sports i was like that, that just looks like fun and i have so much respect for that guy i'm going to try and do what i can to have a similar claim but really on a much lower level <laughs> so, but he, i really wanted to emulate what he was doing and it was just fun just to get to go do so many different things and, and meet so many different people, and the experience that I gained from that has helped carry over into coaching a lot of athletes across a plethora of different sports and circumstances.
0: Awesome, man! I mean, that's people ask me why do I train so many different ways and so many different things, and you you literally are reverberating the same messages. I have fun doing this, and yeah. and it and it is fun, like. I tell people all the time, and it's from my own mistakes in knowing now, like, I took shit way too serious with certain <laughs> strength events, and I'll be the first to admit it. Um, and everybody's going to have their bad days, and it's going to get to you some days worse than others. But, man, when I realized that I was taking shit too serious, and I was like, man, I'm doing this for fun. I'm putting all this money and all this effort into it. Why the hell am I not going to enjoy it? And right. I tell people that all the time now in the gym, people I coach, I'm like, hey, you're going to have a bad day. Who cares? Make sure you're having fun doing this stuff. If you're spending a bunch of money to go travel to this competition, you better go freaking enjoy it and quit putting so much pressure on you. does not mean you cannot take it serious and you cannot excel, but it's enjoy that. Enjoy the process as well. I mean, I quit getting so mad in throwing practice lately and I'm enjoying the sport way more Um, because, of course, not every day is going to be a PR day and you can't always go for PRs in practice. And it's uh and that's the thing is, is also training for the different ones. I find myself in love with the challenge of trying to excel in something that I've not done before. You know, it was like people are like, why do you do so much weightlifting? And I'm like, Because it's hard to do. And <laughs> and it hard to get good at and, and hard to excel at. And so that's why I enjoy that challenge and then it just so helps that it helps my throwing. Cause I'm more of an explosive athlete or, yep. you know, and the, the one thing that gets me is I'm competitive. I'm very competitive and I get mad at seeing people lifting more weights than I do in the gym. And I'm like, shit, I need to go back to powerlifting cause I want to lift more than this person. And then I'm like, well, I could go outside right now and throw something farther than anybody in the gym. And so they can't take that from me. Um, and so that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of the fun of it is the crossover is I've enjoyed, you know, and, and it is, Koklyaev, uh, however you pronounce his name, was a huge motivator for myself. You were my as myself as well in seeing that. It's it's. I love the term strength athlete because it's athletic. You're you can do you pick up anything and do do all of it. I call it. The, uh, I call it like CrossFit without cardio. Uh, <laughs>
1: CrossFit with actual weights.
0: <laughs> yeah, or without or whether well, your cardio strongman. I'm breathing heavy plenty if I'm doing a carry event. <laughs> oh God,
1: yeah. Those are, those are number two behind the, the truck pull. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely misery. Yeah.
0: Um, so what is, you know, what would you give, like, I, I'm going to come back to this question, actually. What are your current goals for yourself right now? Like, uh, where, where is your life evolved to with what is the, the next, the rest of this year look for like for you, or maybe the next five years.
1: As far as athletics yeah. or athletics.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, I had a an event come into my life. I, uh, I started dating Dr. Jen Case, and with that, she is a multi-time world champion in jujitsu. So I had no real intent in starting jiu-jitsu, and jujitsu started happening to me because she would just sneak up behind me after I'd get done with a set of squats and start putting on choke holds and whatnot and I was like man I better get in the gym and figure out how to defend myself from this (laughs) I'm you know something's gonna happen bad (laughs) and I have no control over it and uh, so I I started doing jujitsu and I've kind of fallen in love with that I've always loved chess in general throughout my whole life I collect chess boards I love the concept of it so much I don't even get to play I just love the boards (laughs) and I quickly figured out that even though I was significantly stronger than her, you know, I was thinking, you know, after a few months of training, I'll learn how to defend these basic things and be able to beat people because I'm stronger. The levels are so incredibly steep in the sport of jiu-jitsu and just the concept of submission grappling that people were able to nullify all the strength that I had, and they'd only been training a few months. Wow. Yeah. So now... When I get my butt kicked by my girlfriend constantly, I can't defend it, but I do know the names of the holds that
0: she's putting me in. So I've really come a long way in that progression. That's all that's changed. That's awesome. Uh, do you see, I, I feel like there is a trend for a lot of strength athletes to be pushing into jujitsu uh, lately. Do you, why? Do you have an answer for me?
1: Well, I think the the camaraderie aspect of it is it's not the same because it's it's a different dynamic.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, But there are a whole lot of similarities. Uh, When you think about our training group that we were in when we were at Appalachian State together, you go to train and we're all going to be pushing to do things that we've never done, and we have to depend on everyone else as a spotter to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky with so many times I'd have – lapse of judgment maybe go too heavy in training early on and everyone else would have to catch my mistake because you know i was wrong or i messed something up but i have that trust in those people and we all reciprocate it so we take care of each other in jujitsu it's a very similar thing but instead of them having to protect you from a weight it's them you know simulating murder on you but as soon as you tap there's an agreed upon thing where you respect that and you stop immediately, and mm-hmm. you try not to do things that hurt the other person while still trying to pretend kill them. <laughs> it's it, it's an interesting dynamic, but the level of trust that you build in five minutes is unlike any other relationship that you can have outside of jujitsu. So to me, that's that's one of the big appeals, and then also the I think the idea that being strong and going into grappling is going to make it easier you a little more confidence but the first thing that happens as soon as you walk in there you'll get your butt kicked a 110 pound little girl who's been training for a few years and that ego trip just gets shut down
0: and stomped on the floor so it's kind of like all come full circle for you you started training because you were getting your butt kicked back yep. in high school and now you're changed your training because you're getting your butt kicked again yep <laughs> um so Something I wanna kinda of, so obviously you're looking at jujitsu, you know, is, is that a competitive thing you're gonna to continue to push or you you have any aspirations there? Yeah, for sure. Um I've tried to do two tournaments now.
1: Uh last October I tried my first one. And for me it's it's a hundred percent different because I'm I don't know if I'm a pacifist, but I think I have a track record of being a pacifist. I've never been in a real fight in my life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because you know I would back down necessarily. Just I was never in a situation or I didn't allow myself to get into situations where I would need to be in a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that confrontational aspect of my personality doesn't really exist that much. So mentally, it was something that I, I saw as a weakness. A uh, big thing that I, I believe in is that there's no such thing as being merciful if you don't have power. If that makes sense, because... You know, there's nothing noble about a bunny rabbit in that regard. <laughs> because a bunny rabbit's not going to hurt anybody, but there's nothing noble about that because it can't hurt anybody. Uh, you know, carrying a big stick and still speaking softly, that is admirable because you have the potential for violence and you don't. So that, that is worthy of respect to me. And I really needed to find basically my big stick to walk around with. I needed to know myself that I have this potential for self-defense or you know, taking care of something physically one-on-one with somebody else. And then then it's a different dynamic. It's, it's more of a self-respect thing for me. Okay. And, and that's really helped a ton with me feeling secure and things like that. But it was something I had no, absolutely no idea that I was lacking until I started jujitsu and felt myself freeze up because i I couldn't go 100% against another human being, even though it was agreed upon beforehand. I didn't want to hurt anybody. Okay. It just It just didn't make sense to me. And over time, I've developed... You know, it's not a killer instinct by any means. I'm still a pretty big wuss. <laughs> but um, I've I've found a, a mental channel to where I'm not cutting loose like I did on weights, because those are inanimate things, and that's easy to cut loose on. But I can... I broke through that barrier to where I could do that with another human being, but I can still turn it off immediately if they tap.
0: Right. Okay. That's, that's a unique perspective. I've never, I've never thought of it that way personally. Um, absolutely completely different from a wrestling standpoint. Um, you know, cause obviously submission is different than what you have in wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. so in terms of a point score or a pin completely different. So that's a, that's an awesome perspective to have on it, Derek. And I appreciate you sharing that, man. That's, that's something I feel like is, is missed, um, especially in today's society, you just don't people don't grasp that idea very easily.
1: Yeah, for sure, and it's it's a very important thing to have as far as you know, being responsible for your own your own health and well being. And honestly, um, a young lady I met in undergrad at Appalachian State she inspired me to do that a lot because she was a a you know, very I don't necessarily think i would call her timid but she was very small frame and not confrontational at all and then years after you know i haven't seen her in years and years but i saw that she did an mma fight I'm like how in the world can she do that <laughs> with that personality and how nice she was and how timid and non-confrontational and i saw the change in her and it was like if she can do it i can do it too so i have a lot of respect for her. It's ashley blankenship now um uh, just to give her props, because I, I respect the crap out of that.
0: Yeah. So, so let's delve into, and I kind of have this underlying question that I ask everybody, and I'm going to kind of break it up and, and kind of talk the training with you a little bit. How how did you feel like your training carried over across the different strength sports, and, and what did you think that you did the best, and what did you think that you could have improved upon to giving you an advantage across the different strength sports? Like, how would you train, how did you train, and then how would you train different?
1: Well, early on, I had a lot of experience with the static lifts and a little bit of cleaning from high school, so that made the transition to weightlifting after I'd been powerlifting for a while a lot easier because I was somewhat familiar with that mid-thigh or power position, and there were a lot of other technique cues that I had to work around after that because I was able to very lucky to have a great coach for a few years and Naomi Elliott was very experienced and a very accomplished lifter herself and being able to have those eyes watch and help me develop as a weightlifter helps me coaching later on as well but the biggest thing is just like I said before you know if if you can't deadlift more than 20% of your best clean and jerk <laughs> that, that you can consider your deadlift being the full capacity of a glass, you can only fill that glass up with water to the top of the glass before it starts running over. It just won't hold anymore. The amount of water you have in there, you can think of as uh, you know power production or rate of force development or anything like that. But that's also going to represent your snatch or your clean. And if you don't increase the size of that glass, a la your absolute strength levels, you're never going to be explosive with a weight less than that. So um, you have to increase your ceiling of potential and absolute strength in order to be able to move dynamically or explosively with lighter weights. So understanding that relationship was absolutely massive as, across all strength sports. And, you know, lucky enough from powerlifting and deadlifting forever, I never really had to battle that myself, but it made it easier to recognize in other people. So if someone was struggling in weightlifting, I was like, well you've been stuck at this plateau, have you been pulling heavy off the floor? What's the heaviest you've pulled? Oh, it's only you know, 15 20% better than your clean and jerk. And you consider that an overload. No, it's not really an overload. You need to just get stronger to make this better. So, technique's always a prerequisite in that regard. But that's, that's one of the more common things as far as mistakes I've seen in weightlifting. Just because of seeing that crossover by competing in multiple different sports and seeing all the commonalities in between them, uh, technique is always first, but you cannot substitute being strong.
0: Oh, I like that one too. Boy, you get you got a gr- bunch of one-liners in this one, buddy. I'm, I take <laughs> notes as I'm doing this to to you know use some of these. And you've had a, I've got like six down right now. I love it. Um, <laughs> so, what would you have done different at this point? and and you've had a very lengthy strength career already what would you do differently or what would you tell this is my kind of awesome question is what would you tell your younger self in powerlifting what would you have done differently with your training with everything that you've done now
1: well it's it's hard to it's hard to say that I would want to have done things differently okay as far as how I trained in the sport because all those things ended up teaching me different lessons. I mean, I, I trained strictly west side conjugated bands, change you know, 17 different conjugations to all the powerlifting verbs and nouns and, you know, every everything I could ever dream up of through that. So I figured out how to, you know, create a giant powerlifting apparatus with bands and chains and blocks and, and everything under the sun, but eventually... I figured out, you know, this this stuff, some of it's it's not necessarily founded in research. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of my powerlifting career, I used bands two weeks out of a six-month cycle. And that was just a light reverse band to help with an overload and an overreach portion. So those things are not necessary. They can be really good tools, especially for a coach, if you know exactly what you're trying to get out of an athlete, whether it's increased intent and pulling or something like that just do the the accommodating resistance curve with band tension or chains or whatever but if you do the basics and you do them right you do them consistently and you do them in a a progressive manner where it gets heavier and you're managing fatigue and you know lots of other details but if you do the basics right you don't need all the craziness so i don't know if i would take that out of my previous training because i learned a lot from it One thing I would change if I could go back and talk to my younger self, I would say, hey, dumbass, quit football. (laughs) Quit football right now and just lift weights because 90% of my injuries all came from football. I had one shoulder dislocation from diving after a basketball one time, but everything else, my two dislocated hips and the other six shoulder dislocations all came from football. Like I said, I wasn't always the smallest guy, but I was usually one of the slower ones, too, on the field. So I had no future in doing that, but I didn't know what else to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in the end, I, I was trying to play football just so I could stay in the advanced weight training class. There you go. But I would tell myself that for sure.
0: Okay. Uh, if you could tell yourself and, and kind of take that same question with weightlifting strongman and Highland Games, what would you have done different with each of those sports to – excel even more than you already had?
1: In Highland games, it would be stop trying to stronger your way through technique. Okay. F- figure out how to go slow, make those big rotations like we talked about earlier. And you know use lighter implements, maybe a longer chain. I did that with Eric Frazier a few times, and it seemed to help a lot. Even then, I was still too impatient to try and sit and get the form right and slowly accelerate from that point training strong uh, strongman i don't know i didn't have a future in that to begin with it was just go have fun <laughs> so i don't i don't think i have too many regrets in that regard um with weightlifting i i was i've been so lucky to be around very wise and knowledgeable people in weightlifting um uh, like I, I mentioned naomi earlier but of course going through my master's and Ph.D. at East Tennessee State with the Stones and being around the weightlifting coach, Satoshi Mizuguchi, who was an absolute stickler for technique. Um, And all the people that came through there before and while I was there, incredible weightlifting minds. Mm -hmm. Um, And getting the input from them and seeing the way they coach and the concepts It's hard to say I would want to do much else different with weightlifting because it would take time away from the powerlifting training. But um, honestly, I've just been extremely, extremely lucky. Like all the circumstances of being around people who are really smart to learn around. um, I mean, how many people can talk about being around Olympic-level coaches for sprints and rowing and weightlifting and throwing but also being around people like Louis Simmons and right. Rick Hussey and you know being and around coaches from all over the country at the highest levels. So I'm, I'm not necessarily religious but I'm very blessed in that regard for sure. I
0: hear you. I uh, that kind of you just brought up two questions I should have asked earlier. One <laughs> well it's kind of together how important is this is powerlifting related? Uh, how important is training environment as can you do geared powerlifting on your own? And then if, if you can, how do you go about doing that? Cause I've gotten that question quite a bit as well as uh, how important do you think it is training in the gear and how frequent would you do that?
1: Okay. So there are three questions. there. <laughs> yeah. I'm to, I'm I back know. Back I'm, back I do
0: this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, What was the first one again? First one is training environment for geared powerlifting. Can you do it on Uh, your own? Uh, Training environment?
1: For powerlifting in general, that helps a ton, just like you mentioned with your brother. Uh, Seeing the environment and kind of getting recalibrated as to what is really potentially possible for you to do. Taking that governor off mentally. For me, that was going to a WPO World Finals in 2006 and then 2007 right after that seeing alexander kutcher deadlift 794 pounds in the 165 class completely removed that for me and then seeing chuck Vogelpohl come out like a rock star and squat 1100 pounds at 275 i think he weighed in at 264 that day but seeing those kinds of things and then on top of that having great training environment where people are positive is reasonably possible and you know People believing in themselves and seeing driven people—you know, people who are really wanting to go after what they—they set their goals for. There's a giant difference between I'd like to go achieve this, and then I want to go achieve this. Like you're going to do whatever it takes to go make this happen, as opposed to the idea sounding nice and I wish I could. Uh, Seeing that in practice is a life changer, regardless of sport or profession. You have to you want to achieve something you go do whatever it takes to go do it so seeing people like that in life that that helps immensely but that's you know that's regardless of sport the atmosphere for multiply equipped powerlifting you have to have a certain amount of people that are completely insane <laughs> they're willing to put put those you know super maximal weights over their face or on their back stuff like that and then the people to hang around the spot as well uh it does make training by yourself and multiply equipment almost impossible Uh, i've seen people do it but they can't get the proper carryover out of the equipment because you can't hand off a bench and a bench shirt that's appropriately tight to where you're going to get a maximal carryover out of it yeah you have to have help it ends up being a team sport even though only one person is getting the glory so to speak kind of like nascar in that way you have a gigantic multi-million dollar team that's all pushing one person to go win a championship
0: yeah i'm with you there man and I, i think that's that's something that i still live like pride with is that our training crew the success of all those individuals it's like you even though i didn't lift the squats that you did or or i didn't bench what so and so did it It's still like being a part of that from that team atmosphere. You feel such a different part of that. And I think that that's what's missing with a lot of powerlifting today is that people are doing it more on their own, which because it is more raw, we have to be real about that. But it's not – it doesn't have to be that as well. I'd love to see a more of that group focus coming back, more of the training crew focus coming back because I think that that's so crucial – and then it's like, it is, you, you get to celebrate your teammates or your training partner's successes as much as your own. And that's what, that's what keeps that drive going. Um, Absolutely. I miss it. Uh, pe- people from other
1: sports don't really understand how close you get with your lifting mates to where, you know, you'll drive halfway across the country just to go help and wrap knees for somebody. Yeah. And then hand off a bench, and then that's really the main reason that you're there. You don't really do much else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's that level of dedication because you build that really close bond of, okay, I'm going to try this. I know you've got my back if I miss it or something happens or I get hurt. You're going to pull this weight off of me and you're not going to allow you know, something bad to happen as much yeah. as you can. That is an, in- an incredibly sacred thing in powerlifting. Anybody that I've ever seen violate that they're cast out immediately. Like you, there's no room for not being able to trust somebody in that kind of environment. So the relationships that are developed are incredibly special
0: and very close. Yeah. How important do you see it being? Like, how often does somebody need a training gear in their gear uh, to to be able to get good at that? Or is it something that you don't have to put a lot in? And, and how to how do you go about doing that? If somebody's looking at getting into powerlifting, like in Multiply, excuse me.
1: Well, I, honestly, I think it goes the same for single-ply. Uh, yeah. USAPL, IPF guys, it's it's a very, very similar process. And I've coached tons of people in single-ply at this point. and it's there's no real difference. You still have to get the technique right um, if you want the proper percentage of carryover mm-hmm. for your dimensions. You know, people with longer arms or are, are thinner in general, the carryover is going to be different. It's just physics. And moment arms and leverage points and things like that, it's just there are things you're going to have to – in that way uh, always outliers but with the equipment you do have to learn a completely different motor pattern from what you normally do Mm -hmm. that's what makes equipped lifting so hard that on top of the additional stress on the body of course but with a bench shirt you have to figure out how to in the first two or three inches of a descent you are setting the shirt by the direction your elbows go to Make sure that it stretches the right way and accumulates tension. And the path that you take to the chest dictates what direction the shirt is going to try and push the bar in, in that regard. So all those little details you have to figure out mm-hmm. over time and get trained on before you can be proficient in what you're doing. Not to mention all the physiological and neurological differences with increased you know, neural drive to be able to handle that amount of weight. Compared to what you were accustomed to before, it's a gigantic overload principle. People talk about CNS all the time, but it really ends up being <laughs> the same—the same kind of neural adaptations and uh, fatigue, peripheral and central—that accumulates from normal training. It's just on a super maximal basis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh, no, okay. But I <laughs> feel like
0: I feel like you and I were, or at least you know, me learning from you. We trained. I would argue that we trained more frequently in the gear than a lot of other people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I obviously kind of learned from you, followed your lead on most of that. And I kind of, it feels like if people try to, I guess you say, classify it, quantify it, I feel like we trained very similar to how the big iron crew did, was it was very frequent in the gear It's why, relatively, I was pretty good in the gear from a carryover standpoint. Now, some of these guys are phenomenal, and you are yourself as well. But, like, some people are like, oh, yeah, I got nothing out of my bench shirt. I'm like, I got over 200 pounds out of mine, you know? Right, yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think that that, you know, our training style attributed a lot to that.
1: Um, Absolutely. Uh, that, That learning curve is extremely important. And anytime you get a different piece of equipment, the more experienced you are, of course, that learning curve with new equipment will be shorter. Right. But you still have to spend time and acclimate yourself to those different motor patterns and adjust whatever you have to adjust. Yeah. Now later on in my career, uh, you could I've, I've got articles outlining how I did this, but an entire training cycle would be about six months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I wrote an article for Power Act Strength Forever ago. It's called "How I Made My PRs My Meat PRs Six Months Ago."
0: I I read that article. It was a good one.
1: I, I send that out quite a bit just to give perspective because beginning of a six-month training cycle before an equipped meet, I was doing sets of 15 with you know, well under 50% of what I would eventually lift at the meet, and I, sh- I show people that just to show, like, look, we're building something here. This, you're going to love this word because you haven't heard it in forever, potentiates Yo, the, next, <laughs> <laughs> the, the next phase of training that you're going into, and what you do there potentiates The next phase of training, which is high volume, moderate volume, but higher intensity, and then, you know, overall maximal strength training, like I talked about before, you're basically doing a raw meat in training. And then that potentiates the geared cycle, which lasted about two months, which is the answer I think you're looking for. but. Out of the six months getting ready for a meet, the last two months was completely in equipment because Mm -hmm. you have to refine those motor patterns once again because you haven't been in it for four months. But if you know what you're doing and you know what to expect with the equipment, the physical strength and developments and mobility changes that you made in the four months prior to getting the equipment, it all is potentiating and leads into better gains in the equipment because... With that skill refined, just like anything else, if you're really good at karate or mixed martial arts or mission grappling, anything, if you have that skill set and then you make your physical tools better, with the skill set staying the same, you are a better athlete. And in powerlifting, it's really, really easy to quantify that because we have exact numbers of what we accomplish. And after that process was done, you can go and look up my results on open powerlifting. Uh, there was consistent increases because I had the system refined to where it was long-term development oriented. And by also getting out of the equipment for a while, you start decreasing the amount of stress on your joints and connective tissue. So you're able to get healthy again to where you can withstand all the heavy training that's close to a meet. So there are tons and tons of different variables that go into it, but it's fatigue management, skill refinement, and then just developing yourself physically over time.
0: That is a very eloquent answer, um, <laughs> and I, I appreciate it, man. That's it's awesome, and uh, I guess uh, I gotta ask the question. Um, I, I should have asked this one earlier, so I didn't have to end on it. Uh, but I, had, I do have lightning round, and we'll do lightning round in a minute. So, uh, will geared lifting in what, and or in what capacity should a raw lifter use geared lifting at all?
1: Oh there are two different considerations there. Okay. Number one priority for any sport that you aren't getting paid to do. Does it sound fun?
0: <laughs> True. If it go. sounds
1: fun, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Try and do it in a safe way. But if it, you know, you got to have fun first, but the general recommendation that I would have for people getting into equipped lifting, even single pie. Um, and I suffered from this cause I, I jumped into a bench shirt too early due to my strength level, of my shoulder injuries. Um, if you can squat double your body weight, raw, you know, just a belt, um, maybe with a light wrap or something like that, just somewhere in that range, you're probably ready to get in a squat suit and not have you know a major detriment there. Um, and even when you get in the squat suit, there's a neurological adaptation that happens just with the overload that might make your raw lifting better. So that's something to consider as well. I know I definitely had that effect when I first started, but bench press maybe one and a half times your body weight. Uh, that's a lot more dependent on limb length as far as how the shirt reacts to your body and how restrictive it is. But that's usually a, a decent, a decent measure before getting into a bench shirt.
0: Okay. I like it, man. I mean, I like it. And uh, I got one question that I didn't push it up very long. I got one question off of Instagram. Okay. Uh, and that is when will you be returning to the Highland games? That is from Nick. Aston. Oh man, Nick, hope
1: you're doing good, man. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm ban- bouncing back between here in Kansas City quite a bit uh, in my life, so I don't really know any Highland Games guys up there, and it makes it kind of hard to train. But I do have my weights, my fork, and my sheaf in the truck, uh, in the bed of my truck. So when I go up there, that I can still train a little bit. Uh, I didn't do that the last couple times that I went up there, but. I would really love to get back out there. I do. I definitely miss it. I definitely miss the people.
0: Yeah. Right now, all the ones pretty much around the Southeast through May are canceled. Um, right. As of right now. Uh, it's ironic
1: that we were talking about um, the uh, the camaraderie because yeah. that's definitely something we're all missing right yeah. now. So everybody hang in there.
0: Hey, grandfather, July, just saying. Um, that's true. It could happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, Uh, All right, man. Well, this is, I mean, obviously this has actually gone a little longer than some of my other podcasts. I try to keep them to about an hour. Uh, we're a little over that, but, uh, I always like to, we did this on the blood and iron that I did with, uh, Tucker Turner and I've loved it. I see some other, uh, podcasts do the lightning round questions that kind of don't relate to any of this. And, uh, so I want to end with those and then we'll, uh, call it a day, man. And then we obviously need to get together sometime soon. It's been way too long, man. Um, absolutely. I I definitely want to get down and, Hang out at your gym too. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love, I love the Derek feedback. And uh, shoot, I need <laughs> to call you after we get done with this to talk about what you texted me last night. So um, yeah, all right, man. So lightning round. First one. What's your favorite food or restaurant?
1: Oh man, I have a weird relationship with food because I had to force feed myself for so long. But uh, <laughs> right now it's the garlic knots from the Black Olive restaurant here. I, I love those things.
0: Oh, man, garlic knots. I had some last night. We actually, or yesterday at lunch, we ordered pizza with some friends that were in town. We didn't quarantine. We quarantined with them. So <laughs> um, we had some pizza and garlic knots. What's your favorite beer? A common beer would be Yingling, but
1: I I really just love Stouts and the Porters.
0: Okay. Yeah, I know, you're a Yingling fan. Derek has pulled a deadlift PR about what, <laughs> four or six Yinglings deep one time. That was a great, great, great day. Yeah, a I drank day. a
1: six six pack of Yingling, hit a PR, couldn't drive home. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, what is your favorite lift to do? Like, if you had to pick, if somebody said you only get to do one lift forever and ever. What are you picking? Clean and jerk. That's not what I expected. I was I was, I was ready for <laughs> squat to happen. Uh, so all right. So why the clean and jerk?
1: Uh, it incorporates everything. Okay. Uh, that and squats hurt now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. Um, all right, and then this one is: What has been your favorite competition, or the favorite place you have traveled for a competition?
1: That's a hard
0: one. Yeah. <sighs> wow. So many. <laughs> <laughs> there are. You've done. I mean, you've done a lot, man. That's what's tough. Um uh, probably the, f- the first time I went
1: to the Arnold to compete because of seeing the WPO guys at the Arnold and idolizing them so much. Right. That was that was my second goal in my powerlifting career. So break a world record, go compete as a professional at the Arnold. So when I did that, I was content with my career. So probably up. that one. Awesome,
0: man. All right. Well, uh, Derek, let's kind of wrap it up uh obviously where can people find you and obviously i've recommended a million and a half people i feel like uh to rp so i know that and i've tried to direct some people directly to you um but where can people find you to look you up what you know how can you help them and and if they want to follow you or send you some messages or questions
1: i'm on instagram and twitter as wilcox strength inc uh facebook you can look me up by my personal profile it's public or you can look at wilcox strength inc on facebook as well
0: all right. Uh, I don't think there's anything else, man. That was This is awesome. Uh, I, I I joke and tell people, man, every time I do one of these, it's my favorite one. And th- right now it's the <laughs> most recent, so this is my favorite one. Um, PR. I definitely – yeah. I, I feel like I, I definitely – this is definitely selfish as I try to learn something every time, and I, I feel like I did. So I really thank you, man, for your time today. My pleasure, man. It was a blast. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Take care.